Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Just a quick note before we start to let you know that today's episode is going to be something a little bit different. This is a phone call between Esprit and her previous business partner and longtime friend, Spencer Anderson. Enjoy the episode. Repeat successes. You know, don't stack failures, repeat successes. And you're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to make a mistake. And it's fine to learn from that. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech shout out goes to We Are LA Tech Experience Club member, Marty Chaskin. Marty, I hope I'm not pronouncing your last name wrong after we've known each other for so many years. Marty has been a huge champion and fan of We Are LA Tech. We're so appreciative of you. He is doing amazing things in the cannabis space with sustainability. Be sure to say hello to him on social at Marty, that's M-A-R-T-Y, last name, C-H-A-S-K-I-N on LinkedIn. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. It's 4 a.m. I was up working all night. I'm sure all of you have gone through these nights. During the day, luckily, I was able to go on a hike. But man, it's tough being ambitious and being healthy at the same time. I haven't figured it out yet. It's a journey. What have you done in order to figure it out on your journey? If you have figured out how to balance in tandem, being fit, healthy, getting the sleep that we all deserve to get while being ambitious and driven and getting all the things done, definitely tweet me, DM, IG, all the things at Esprit Devora. I want to know the secret. All right, let's hope I get to sleep soon. Bye. Enjoy the next episode. Why don't you go ahead and introduce this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, my name is Spencer Anderson. My known Esprit for about 14 years, I think. And we went through a really interesting experience with a startup company. And we've continued to be good friends and enjoying catching up and, and business chat and tech talk, tech talk ever since. I mean, essentially, like, I've appointed him as my brother, but he had no, like, choice in the matter. So <laughs> I think I, I think I'm going to start, like, I'll start with the end first. Like, the end for me is one of the coolest things that that I learned about life and relationships and companies is the level of disdain that we had for one another and still totally respecting one another was unbelievable. <laughs> and it just taught me so much about that word respect you know and like what it is to have an incredible co-founder and an incredible friend and yeah and that that's kind of like the end of the story it didn't start out that way it started out all peaches and cream but like (laughs) but like um started out unexpected but uh i think we both really it's important to us each to work really hard and and dedicate ourselves and and what we what we think we can accomplish to something and but we kept you know we kept work work and we kept 
part of ourselves separate from that. And I think we respected that the other person was just working hard too, but we disagreed on things that got to that point. And, and we're like, you know what? We recognized it. I think that was good. But yeah, it started really slow. I was just a, a four hire developer working a few hours a week. One, how did I find you? <laughs> how did I con <laughs> you into my big startup adventure? <laughs> we had a mutual somebody that we knew. No. Yes. And yes. and the the first work was for a different project that you had. And oh, what? you just reached out you reached out to a bunch of different people and said, Hey, I'm having a problem with my scuba diving website. Anybody know somebody that can fix this for me? And was referred over to me and I reached out and said, what's going on? And he said, well, I can't do this on my website anymore. It stopped working. And I logged in and fixed it. And I said, there you go. And he said, wait a minute. Why could no one else do that? And I said, I don't know. It just was pretty straightforward. It really was. I'm not saying I knew something special. And You're he so said, well, I, want to do some more with, <laughs> I want to do some more with this website. Can you help? And I said, Sure. And so that was Dive Tonight. Yeah. That's crazy. The landscape of startups at the time was there was no landscape. There was no startup. I mean, had you heard of like the startup world at that point? I mean, you were, I guess we were both in tech, I, just from different angles. You were and are a developer and, you know, an engineer. And I was coming more like a creative project manager type, but I didn't necessarily know of the world of startups. I had to hunt for it. What was it like for you I, in Minnesota? I'm sure it still means something different to us. I still don't know what the startup world is versus what you say the startup world is. But I was a freelance developer. I was helping people do website creation for their businesses. And they weren't what would be called a startup, but they were new businesses, small businesses that were trying to establish themselves online. And so there's an element of startup to that. And that's kind of the part of the business that I connect more with. It's, it's people wanting to, you know, start something versus I kind of have a negative connotation to startup. So we're <laughs> just trying to be something. And so I was used to that and just helping people get their idea online. I thought that's something that I was okay at. And I didn't really like programming enough to do it full-time, but I really enjoyed doing it part-time. And so it was a really fun thing that I did for a few years. And that's how I got involved with you is just doing freelance website development. And then I conned you into being a full-time unpaid engineer. <laughs> <laughs> well, then our, then our mutual interest in business and trying to create something and trying to improve something kind of kicked in and we'd be, the conversation that one day was change that header. I don't, I don't like it. And I want when somebody clicks over here. I want this to happen. And then a month, two months, six months later, it was, you know, what, what do you think is really capturing somebody about this page or, you know, what are we really doing here? What's the goal? And we started talking about the business objectives of the site and realized that our kind of similar, but different approaches had some good complementary effect. Outcome. Totally. Yeah. Just because I'm sure most people listening don't know is we built essentially the first action sports social network when there was Friendster and MySpace and that kind of time period and social networking wasn't a thing and it wasn't easy to build a site then. There was no WordPress or anything like that. It was very difficult to build a website and I had had a another business partner before who we amicably split ways. It was totally mutually agreeable because the company was a sports company and my first business partner, Sam Goads, who was awesome, went on to build Box, which is a huge file sharing company. But at the time he was like, that Box is tech and this is sports. So I think I should go do tech. I don't play any sports. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, you play basketball, but <laughs> Really do action sports either. <laughs> I mean, Basketball I don't even really sport. do action sports. <laughs> Basketball <laughs> is a sport. But it was like for skateboarding, surfing, motocross, all that stuff. And 
it was just a core love that I had growing up a California girl. My dad would take me to all the motocross events and skateboarding competitions. And I just idolized Tony Hawk and I read Thrasher magazine and I was just like in love with the culture. And so the first company that Spencer was talking about, my dive company was a scuba diving company, which I won't get into that much. But one day, one of my mentors at the time said, why are you building a scuba diving company when you love skateboarding and stuff? <laughs> You've never even been scuba diving. And I'm like, what a novel idea. I should probably build a company around a sport that I actually, you know, genuinely love. So in the scuba diving culture, there's our even scuba diving period, you have to have a scuba diving buddy. And I'm like, why isn't there an easy way to find a scuba diving buddy? And so that's what kind of got me thinking about like networking for sports online. And then for lack of a less trendy word, I pivoted into action sports connectivity. First, it was a social network. And then it evolved into this media shenanigan, where we would film the top action sports athletes everywhere around the U.S. It was wild. And Spencer and I did all of that insanity together. But he was always, you and I have only met in person like four times or something, right? Yeah, that sounds about How many right. times? Is, um, I think it's actually four. Is it more than? No, if, it, if it's more, it's like five. It's not, it might even be three. It's less. It's less than 15 days. It might be less than 10 days. It's like four or five weekends. That's insane how close we are yeah. and how little we've seen each other in person. It's insane. Yeah. So for you, like at that beginning, I don't think we used the word startup or anything. Like what did the landscape look like in your world? It was just, it was just like, here's another dev project. It wasn't, you didn't really like look too much into it or what was that world for you back then? I liked the creativity of it is what I think was interesting to me. We didn't call it a startup. We didn't really know what it was at first. It was just a passion project, an idea that you had. I'm not into the action sports thing myself, um, but I like <laughs> interest in, in sports, and but interest in things. And I and you had shared some different things, and I just appreciated the enthusiasm for skateboarding and surfing and these things that I knew nothing about. I, I just thought it was really interesting, and I thought we had a a neat idea, and. And so it was just, it was fun, I think, to be a part of initially. That's what drew me in. It was just a fun thing to do, a, a neat idea with people that really were interested in it. And uh, when we would talk to people about the idea, they'd say, well, that's a cool idea. And we'd say, all right, well, then let's keep going with us and let's see what else we can think of. And so it was just the enthusiasm that I think caught me at first. Same. In the beginning, I really felt, and I think at the core, I still feel this way, although I'm really like, far removed from it now that code was like an expression of creativity and it was just an expression of my interest. I did have big visions and big dreams and I definitely was quote unquote trying to be something, but I was trying to be something from a very organic, like loving place. Like the foundation of it was like just an abundance of passion. It wasn't like, I want to be the coolest startup. It was just madly in love with my own company. <laughs> When did we start hiring our team? Was it before we got money in or was it after? It did was. I don't remember. There was a short window there where a lot happened at the same time. And some of the, I think, initial hires were pre-investment, but it was somewhat imminent. It wasn't just, you know, a one day we might do this. So we didn't really hire anybody too early on. We were building this trying to establish what this, you know, what the value was, what this thing was going to be that was worth, you know, somebody wanting to work and be a part of or worth work, uh, worth a, a company wanting to relate themselves with. And a lot of time was just trying to have to take something from this idea to have some sort of tangible aspect to it. Um, and we switched code platforms. There's a lot of development changes going on at that time. Yeah and how people were creating websites and what was the most effective way. Originally it was a hundred percent 
custom code that your former partner wrote and did, did a really nice job. That was actually one of the things that was interesting to me is this concept of these modules and, and interlinking of things that he had created through some, you know, really basic languages. I didn't, hadn't seen them used like that before. I thought that was really cool. It kind of pushed that custom code and it's like, well, are we going to be a software company or are we going to be you know, an action sports company? And, and I was the software guy and I was like, we're not going to be a software company. (laughs) 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 We're going to use software. We're going to use code to express this interest and and try to connect with this community and do all that kind of stuff. But we are not going to write groundbreaking software. That's not what we're here to do. That was my point of view. And so we started picking up on some of these off the shelf, open source type things and then customizing them for our use. Yeah, I remember first thing. There's a lot thing, of iterations on that. Totally, which is one of the lessons I learned from you. Like first, Sam built it in straight PHP, and then we rebuilt it into Drupal. And then the last thing Sam said is like, "You need to do Ruby on Rails." It's like that's where everything's going. And so then that's what you focused on was redoing it into to Ruby on Rails. Is that right? Yeah, it wasn't PHP. It wasn't a really early version of it. And he had created this kind of modular concept that didn't exist in the core language. And at least as far as I knew, I was, I was not, you know, expert level at the time. So I liked it. And so, yeah, then we went to an open source. We went to Drupal for quite a while. And then we went to Ruby on Rails right around, right before we went into that investment kind of phase. And the one thing you taught me over the years that I still never really got while we were building the company. I probably get it now that it doesn't matter with what I'm building now. Was just because you can build a feature doesn't mean you should, because every time I'd be like, I have a new idea, then you'd build it. And it became this thing over and over again. And one day you're like, okay, it's great. Wait, stop. (laughs) Like, What feature should we really be building? Um, So it was constantly me with my ideas and then you doing your best to accommodate my ideas with code. (laughs) driving you crazy doing my my best to talk you out of every idea and then the (laughs) ideas that stuck then we tried to put those into place and then i would just change my mind like right after that (laughs) and then okay so then we i remember our i think i think our first hire was clayton i i know how was he our first so I remember like this backstory is behind each person with Clayton. He was a paparazzi that I found like on the streets of LA and just very charismatic and took incredible photos. And later he ended up becoming our videographer and our creative person. But there was also this guy whose name I can't remember. He actually didn't treat me respectfully. So that's, that's a story to forget, but I found him on Craigslist and he was the person who first edited one of the videos. Like I didn't know what editing was. And I was like, do you like, are you the person that like puts music into things? And he did. And, and for that project, it worked out. It just, unfortunately later on, I found out he didn't think much of like women in power. So which bummed me out, but it is what it is. And then Amanda, I met, at a casting, like I was casting for like hosts, but I didn't know what that was about either. What picking out hosts were. I mean, everything was so gorilla, but I met her there. And then Grant, I think I met from Craigslist too, but I don't remember the order. And he was our videographer, but I don't remember the order. And then there was Chris, who was, I think, our sometimes videographer and editor that came later on, I think. I don't remember the order, though. Was Clayton the first person? He was the first one that contributed on, like, our side of it. For a while, we were really focused on user-generated content, and not so much our generated content being yeah. part of the site. And so we were doing things like profile pages and upload your photos, and that was quite a while. And, and then then we shifted into this. We saw You saw this opportunity to create content that others weren't creating for this activity that was going on. And that's when Clayton got involved. We shifted. We shift. Yeah. We shifted from a social network to a media network, but it was not my idea. It was Farley Cahan who I met 
through a childhood friend, knew a fancy investor advisor like person <laughs> with connections to Silicon Valley. And this is right when I was like going after investment and I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I mean, I, I pretty much never have an idea of what I'm doing about anything still to this day. But so my friend Aaron introduced us and then Farley who became our advisor said, you need to be the CNN of action sports. You need to be everywhere. And so we shifted not necessarily to news, but we shifted to like this, this content company because of his suggestion. I think social networking had got like really saturated, like, you know, like with MySpace and Facebook and all that. And we didn't want to compete against social networks. So that's why we shifted. Is that accurate? I think so. Yeah. I think we saw an opportunity to try and work with some of the events and, and companies that were a part of action sports. And we wanted to do it more so than them having a profile on the page. We wanted to work with them to create content that would pull people in that they hadn't seen before. And Totally. And there was some initial success with that, so we just kept going that direction. And I used my high school journalism experience <laughs> to get us into these things that, for the most part, we were denied, but I was such a hustler then that I just took a no as kind of like a maybe yes. <laughs> I remember I had my host and camera crew show up to, I think it was like a trans world event or something that we were definitely told no to. But when I showed up with these like incredible hosts and camera crew, they're like, yeah, yeah, come in. And it worked out and we shot a video and it was just so exciting. And it's really, it really felt like a rock star life. And part of that rock starness, like a day I'll never forget is, you know, seeing that YouTube had gotten acquired and who invested in YouTube, Sequoia Capital, I'm like, well, if YouTube could do it, so can I. And so I read the Sequoia Capital website, who's like the largest venture capitalist in the world, but I didn't know what venture capital was. I didn't know what Sequoia was. I just knew it worked out for YouTube, so it could work out for us. And yeah. I redid my business plan and all this stuff. I don't know, Spencer, if you remember, do you remember that I had these construction paper like press kits or like PR whatever they're called for investors where I like would paste the construction paper to the top. Do you remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Wild. And so with my construction paper press kit, I like flew to San Francisco, borrowed my friend's car, drove to Sequoia Capital, no meeting, didn't know anything, didn't know anyone. And I remember I was sitting in the car sweating profusely and I called Spencer and you're like, you got to do it for us as he's like in his cushy job in Minnesota, like chilling. <laughs> I felt like I was risking I think I was life. on the deck just kicking back. And I'm like, yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about that too. How like you needed voice. that little push yeah. though. I did. I was freaking out. I thought I was out. I mean, I was out of my mind. I thought I was out of my mind and I was out of my mind, but I ended up going into Sequoia Capital. There was this name that resonated. I hung up the phone. I was like, she is totally out of her mind. I just, I hung up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And I go into Sequoia Capital and I have this name resonating in my head of somebody I read on the website. And I'm just like, it's so-and-so. I'm not going to say the name. I'm like, it's so-and-so in like and then the receptionist goes is he expecting you and I'm like well I sent the email and I ended up meeting with the person he said you know like essentially good on you for being so brave to come in and then by the time I made it back to my friend's house he had found my email connected me to my first like official mentor Nicola and it was just amazing and then and then you and I met in person shortly after that because like Nicola, I guess, had set up a meeting for us with like 20 investors or something. And so Spencer flew to San Francisco. I drove to San Francisco from LA. And I think we had a few people from our team there too, or, or friends or something. It wasn't just us. I remember other people being there. Yeah. Do you remember a couple that? People, yeah. like Clayton and one other person were there by that point. And they were there for 
moral board support. Would be a part of the, yeah. the team. I think just you and I did this presentation then. We had totally put together something on the fly and never presented, didn't know what they were interested in, didn't know what you know, ex- expectations were. We just said, this is the story we have. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, um, it was nerve wracking. I practically, it's the only time in my life that I legitimately almost passed out after. Like I felt nauseous. Do you remember that? I was on the balcony and I'm like, I just can't right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you, you know, you didn't like go to bed, but you basically isolated yourself like after that for an extended period of time. Like I am non-functional. Just then I said, all right. Come on. Oh, <laughs> I slept for like several hours, I think. And you went out with the person who drove me to San Francisco. Didn't I? Yeah. Didn't I sleep after that? Like Rip Van Winkle? Yeah. Well, one of my um, old childhood friends lived out there really close to where we were. And I called him up and I said, hey, come pick me up. (laughs) 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 Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we hung out for a while and you decompressed and it was was all good. I told him him why I was there. (laughs) If there wasn't a better example of like an introvert in my truest form, you know, (laughs) like like there were like little inklings of like me being introverted earlier on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that was one of them that I just like couldn't handle all the all the engagement. That was crazy. And then eventually I remember I was like severely in debt and in my place and you were back in Minnesota and I was offered a really like cush paying job and you, because you're a jerk, convinced me to keep on the entrepreneurial path. <laughs> And I did not take the job and instead on credit card debt flew to New York, snuck into an action sports award show. And that is where in the VIP room I met who was to become our investors. (laughs) Crazy. You're welcome. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. Those like (laughs) decisions. It's like one like squabble that we had at that time a lot was your choice to to keep a job the whole time. And as I was doing it, I feel like you were doing it like full time, but you were doing like two things full time. Whereas this was like my whole life, like looking back now, what do you think about that? I mean, I think like, Oh, thank goodness he made that choice. (laughs) What do you think about that choice Uh now looking back now? I did because I care about you. So I'm just like, glad you're okay. Kind of thing. You know, I'm glad it like worked out for you, but it was like tough during that time. I had basically a newborn and an 18 month old and then the day job and then this project. And I ran, ran myself as hard as I could. And, and it was, it was rough for me very differently than it was rough for you. But, but yeah, I kept the I kept the day job and, and that was, that was important to me that that made me feel like I could really take a, a shot at making the action sports company work because I, I had other commitments as well that were, that are, you know, really, really important to me. So in a related field. And so I was, it was a really time of exhaustion and learning and uh, trying something else that didn't work the first time. And I grew a lot in a lot of ways during, during those first years when my, my kids were so young and we were doing this action sports company. And, but yeah, we, we talked about that a lot and that stubbornness, from both sides of us just to like say, this is how it is, or this is how it should yeah. be. was starting to rear its head a little bit, but I think we were both true with what was right, felt right for us. So it's funny. It definitely had a negative impact in some ways, but in now looking back, like I'm glad that you made that choice for you because now that I know the whole story, like that is what was like best for you. But at the time, like it was really confusing as a co-founder, like, like, are you not as invested as I am, I think, or things that I was thinking about. And then when it came to actually raising money from our investors, that was one of the the core points that they didn't give us the amount that we 
thought we would be receiving, which was an insane day because I went in thinking one thing and I walked out thinking another. And even though it was still like a winning situation, it wasn't the same as we had planned. It was just so crazy. That was such an emotionally distressing day. But one of the core things is we see like Esprit, we see you're investing all of yourself, but we're not convinced your business partner is because like he still has his job. And so that was rough. That was really hard. Yeah, that was rough for all of you. (laughs) It didn't bother me. I, you know, I I felt like I was honest and upfront about myself the whole time and what I had brought. And I think I was like, you could, you can find somebody else to do this. It doesn't have to be me if that's what it is, but this is what I can bring to the table. And this is what I have to offer. And, and I'll give you that. And I definitely did. And I felt really comfortable with that, although I know it's not what everyone else wanted to hear. It's still not. Even even you saying it right now reminds me of that anger I had back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I still don't like hearing it. It still makes me, like, flustered, even though it doesn't matter anymore. Like, it's, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, as your unofficial sister, I'm really glad that, like, you, like, we're committed to what you knew was right for you. I think that's really hard for us just as individuals to know what's right for us in general, in any area in our life. And then when we stand so true to that, like that's actually really beautiful, like a business partner, like everything was top. The thing is, and I know that you know this, I don't think the company didn't work out because you didn't leave your job. I think the company didn't work out because I wasn't a strong enough leader at the time, which had nothing to do with your job, actually. And I think the company didn't work out because I didn't validate or know what the business model was to the core enough. And maybe that's being too hard on myself because I know in like everything that I've seen that a lot of people don't know their business models right away. Like, I mean, even Facebook didn't know what their business model was in the beginning. And then like Mark had to like fight for, for this advertising model, or I don't remember, or maybe it was the other one. I don't remember the whole backstory, but I really genuinely believe the company didn't work out because of me. I just take full responsibility, like of why it wouldn't work. Why it didn't work out. Yeah, I think that's I think a lot of people would feel that about something that they started and that didn't end up where they wanted. I think it didn't work out because we changed directions too many times. I think. Oh, interesting. We, we never, and it ties to the business model that you touched on there, but we never defined and stuck to a method of earning money in return for the work that we were doing. Mm. It was always an idea, and it was always chasing yesterday's kind of brainstorm session. And we never figured out a formula that resulted in real predictable, reliable revenue for the creation that we were putting into it. And so the costs outweighed the, re- you know, the revenue. And so it, was, it wasn't a result of lack of time. I mean, how many buckets of hours were put in or interest in doing it, but the, the revenue wasn't there. Yeah. I agree. I think I think you gave it full-time hours and I know I gave it more than that and as did we had such a wonderful team. I don't think it was lack of time either. I think you're right that we could have been more efficient with our time. But like then I hear stories about these huge companies that also have these internal problems and you wouldn't think it because on the outside they seem so ginormous. But then they have the same things are like, you know, you'll hear about companies that launch an initiative, like a project within the company, and it totally fails. Like, why would it fail if they understand how to do things, you know, in a systematic way? So I don't know if There's I'm being, I don't know if this just happened. Yeah. Of chance to the, the startup world and, and the investment world. And, you know, I think we had a lot of good ideas and, and potential that was there, but a, a combination that didn't get put in that you know, resulted in a, in a viable, a financially viable company. Yeah. It's also interesting that a lot of companies don't even try to be financially viable. And that's a thing. 
very popular. I mean, there's a whole saying. Yeah, that's, that where I, like, that's where I say, like, I don't understand startup. I don't understand what that means. Cause I don't, that means that that's totally foreign to me. It's still, there's a yeah. company that doesn't try to be financially viable, you know, revenue has to exceed expenses kind of business mindset. And, and that's not everyone's approach. It's just, but that's, that's where I feel like I'm contributing to something in a, in a way that, is in the direction the business is going. That's, that's how my brain and my approach work. And you and I bonded a lot over our love for Jason Freed, who also sees business that way. You can't, a cupcake company can't survive if you don't spend money on buying the cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of that focus and simplicity that uh, he likes to talk about. I really connect with that and still try to bring that to, to the work that I'm doing today is, uh, simple simplicity, focus, being really good at something and doing that and then doing that over and over. And unfortunately for the action sports company, but I took some of that chaos for me and, and, and helped build myself into, you know, more what I, <clears throat> which, what feels right for me when it comes to work and business. Nice. I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to take advantage. <laughs> you got to. You got to take advantage. <laughs> How would you? But that's part of why oh. that's part of why I look back on it as a really positive experience for me, because it didn't end how either of us wanted it to. But that's part of why I still look back on it as a, as a really positive thing, is because there was a lot of good that came out of it. Our investors also said that out of all their investments, we made their money last the longest, which I always thought was a wonderful compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we need this? No. Do we need this? No. Do we need this? No. <laughs> For me, like that company just defined who I even am today and who I was. And when I, no longer had that company, I just crumbled. I think in a lot of ways, I still am crumbled from it. I just loved that company so much. I can't even explain it. I don't have any children, but I, it feels like really deep like that. Like even, you know, you still having the email account and me being like, I should probably deactivate this and feeling awful about it. And then you sent me a text message that says, you know, just because the email inbox is going away, doesn't mean I am <laughs> <laughs> like I cried yeah, when I closed the bank account. Like it was awful. It took me years too to close the bank account after the company was done. I still kept that bank account open. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it has a very personal connection for you. It's never been surprising to me. I never tried to tell you not to do that. I don't know if that was right or wrong, but I, you know, I can see that it was very personal for you. And but that's how you approached it. That's that's what you needed to do, or that's that's how it was going to happen. You know, it's just it was clear. It was like an inevitability that it was a very personal thing for you. And I think that was good for it. You know, it was good for the company. Gave us a chance. Yeah. I would read you all of them and they were so painful. Oh my God. I was sleep deprived. I was anxious. I was neurotic. I was stressed out, but I was also full of wonder. So driven, so hopeful, it's truly an extraordinary life experience. I don't regret anything about that experience. I think there's one thing. There's one thing if I could redo one thing. I remember always thinking that other people were smarter than me. Always. Like, which is why we hired some consultants that like weren't the best choices to hire because I was trying to compensate for what I, I thought that I was inadequate in. And I would have liked that I had more belief in myself. I think that that's the only thing I would have maybe changed. I know that like yeah. we could have had a better, like a stronger business model and all this stuff too. But I think that also just comes with learning. But I think a belief in self is something that could even start when you're a child, you know, like you don't have to wait to have a belief in self. And do you agree or just, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think we got distracted sometimes listening to some guidance because we thought we needed external guidance and what well, we knew we were making it up as we went at the same time. You know, but we had 
good ideas. We had ideas and, and results that brought us that far. So I think that was all part of some lack of direction that we had. And that was part of a lack of confidence in what we were doing. And it was part because we didn't get, you know, output over here where we thought that would be more, have more impact. And it was trying things. We never stopped trying things. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no lack of ideas. <laughs> Do you think the company, I mean, obviously at the time we thought the company had a chance of being successful, but like looking back, knowing everything that you know now, do you think if we made a couple of tweaks somewhere, the company could have been really successful? I don't know that a couple of tweaks is a, is a fair thing, but I'm sure there, there was a combination of there that could have worked. Absolutely. I just, you know, I, I'm an optimist in that way. I think. I, I thought this can work. <laughs> and that's why part of why I was involved in it. I, I didn't think that I would have thought that was a bad use of time. I don't know if some of our original ideas for the company could have resulted in that sustained, you know, kind of sustained financially viable company. It would have had to change as we were trying to change to find out what it was. And I don't know if the result would have been, what we were as enthusiastic about originally, because we went through some iterations that weren't that interesting to either of us, but we thought they could be, you know, they could make money, but like they, they weren't that appealing to us. And we were, we were going through different ideas. We thought we just got to go through some different ideas here. I don't think it was a couple of tweaks. I think it was multiple things that could have impacted it differently to make it sustainable. And would it have been something that you still thought was, you know, your personal passion project. I don't know. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Every time you keep saying passion project, I'm like that, that supposed passion project was far <laughs> from a passion project. No, I don't mean it. Down but I know like what that. you I mean. Just, yeah. It's something that you personally, individually were, were so enthusiastic about this concept, you know, and it was, like you say, how you still have sadness about shutting off a mailbox it's because, you know, you're so connected to the concept that it means so much to you. And I don't know that the company, the reality of the company would have matched that concept mm. in the end. Yeah, there's something, there's something deeply special about it for me. Everything from like you to like everybody on our team to the experiences that we had to the timing experiences from the athletes we met to learning how to become a media company to the code to the like I sneaking into like the first ever Y Combinator. <laughs> like it's called Startup School at Stanford and they were just the craziest. Like, so start Y Combinator when it was first starting out with startup school and they were totally full to capacity. It was this free event. And I remember contacting like all the speakers, asking them if I could be their guest because I really wanted to go because I didn't have any startup community and I wanted to meet other people like me. And then this person who I'll leave nameless calls me up or contacts me somehow and says, you need to stop contacting your speaker, the speakers, like, da, da, da. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean anything bad. I just really want to go. I'm building this company and I want to learn and I want to meet more people like me. And this person's like, well, there's no spots. You're like, you're screwed. And I'm like, Shh, please. And I'm like, I invent my own reality. And so I'm like, well, look, why don't I just go? And if someone doesn't show up, I'll take their seat. And they're like, no, you can't go. Like, and I'm like, whatever. So I drive to San Francisco and I show up and obviously people don't show up and I take their seat and this person ends up apologizing, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget like how much that person just wanted to like hold me back. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And that's, that's the experience you were having during it that I, I'm not complaining because that's, not my kind of spot to be in, but you were in California. You are in California and doing that. Meanwhile, I'm in Minnesota with my laptop in the middle of the night, trying to figure out a way to make the video player, you know, render a little faster, be more consistent on different browsers. And, and you know, so I wasn't at the events. I wasn't talking to any of the athletes. I wasn't editing the videos. I was. I got it so true. 
maintaining the site and that and I like that. <laughs> That's the part <laughs> that I signed up for and asked to be a part of. And but I never went to one event. You know, and I never talked to one person that was on in our content. I was trying to make the content available. I was trying to make the website more reliable to make it faster, to make the load times more efficient. And, you know, that's, that's where I was enjoying my time. And so for many of the hours that we were each working, it was a very different experience. It's so interesting. I never thought about it that way before. It's so crazy. It's funny. I had my team call with my, with my whole podcast shenanigans and the other day and one of my teammates said was honest about something and I said thank you so much for having the courage to be honest and and he said well the only reason I could is because you create a really safe environment and I I just thought it was like such a wonderful compliment because if there's anything that I really aspire to be it's like I just want to be a great leader You know, like I feel, I know you know this already, like I feel like I failed us back then because I wasn't a strong enough leader. And if there's anything I want to be, it's like I want to be a really great leader. I want to have a a really like solid team. And I still struggle with business models. (laughs) Just not my core competency. I'm still this content company struggling with business models, not sure how to simplify the whole thing. And it's infuriating because I feel like in a lot of ways I'm making like when you said like we kept pivoting or we didn't stay focused on one thing long enough I'm like oh my gosh I'm making all the same mistakes again (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's not the same this time as it was then like I don't want to ever be that emotionally invested into something it was it was too painful and I think unhealthy it has a really intense impact on you and and could could swing you know how a day or a week or you know parts of it would go because you were you were so invested into it and it, it brought life and it brought energy and it brought things to it but it brought challenges too and but i think that's fair to what anybody brings us trying to start something but you know i know a little bit about the podcasting that you're doing now and, but i think you still bring a, a drive and dedication to it and it may not be as personally connecting, but you still bring that drive to it. I think that's. I do or have done the podcast from a very genuine, connective place. But the main and a significant difference is if the podcast disappears, like I don't as a person. Whereas with our sports company, when our sports company disappeared, I felt like I disappeared too. Like I no longer had an identity. So I just no longer want my personal identity to be meshed into my business identity. I want them to be two separate identities. I want to have value on my own as an individual, not just because of some company that I have. Yeah. And lately it's become like I've been podcasting now for, six years, which is essentially, again, a content company. And for the majority of the six years, it was like, as you would say, passion project, but it's not a passion project as a company, but I have the same faux pas with these business models, which make it into a passion project because unless you have a great business model, then what is it? (laughs) And in recent months, like that's really frustrated me. It's frustrated me not to know the business model and to continue forward without having a strong business model. And I, I'm like, that's where I'm sitting right now where I'm at a complete loss to like what the solid business model is. And like the default response when I asked my friends and I, this was probably the default response we had back then too, was like, Oh, just get advertisers. It's like, there's a lot that comes with that. And I won't get into it too much, but things like I've learned that there's a lifestyle related to the back-end operations of every kind of business model. So I want to be in alignment with the business model that I have from a lifestyle perspective. And an advertising business model, the lifestyle is that of an ad agency. And there's a certain, you know, bucket of things that come with that. If you have the business model of membership, there's a bucket of things that come with that. If you have the freemium business model, there's a bucket of things that come, you know, like 
there's just a bucket of lifestyle choices behind every single one. And my living yeah. a, a full life is really important to me now. And it sounds funny that that's only important to me now. And, but I was so caught up then in just like the hustle that I left my identity. I like foregoed my identity for hustle. And now I care about my identity more than I care about hustle. Does that make sense? Yeah, that completely makes sense. I think like today I'm in a, an IT services based company, but we know we're a customer service company. You talked about the back end model. Our model is customer service and we deliver IT services, but it comes through customers. And when, when I talk to the, the team that I'm with today and we say, what do you like about this job or this company? And they say, it's, it's helping the clients. What I really care about, what I really like is helping our clients. And I'm happy we do have good alignment. We, we realize we're a customer service organization and we have people that have IT skills, but their interest is in helping other companies, helping other people with their business. They like using IT to help. And so I, yeah, I can see that. That's really important to, to see what the behind the scenes reality of being successful in that approach is and then having that match up with the people that work in it. What do you think of me as like a leader or an entrepreneur or how would you describe me to someone else? A great motivator, very genuine. What you're doing when you're interacting with people, you're always interacting from a very genuine place. I think you have a knack for finding people, finding people with a talent or a skill set or an interest and putting them in a spot to be successful with that. Oh, I love that. And you know, that's my all time favorite thing about you is you're like a master of perspective. <laughs> like a master you, of perspective. Yeah. Like you can see, I feel like you can see everyone's perspective and be like emotionally detached, but in a compassionate way in order to have a clear perspective on how to operate forward. <laughs> It's really interesting. I can see that. It's really, um, it's really cool. I mean, I'm really passionate about what I do right now. It's a passion project. I really am grateful for the opportunity I have and the spot I'm in and, and the work I'm able to do. And when I come at it very methodically and kind of like a bulldozer or something, just slow moving kind of going through what's around, trying to mold things in front of me to make it look how I want after I'm done with it. That's kind of how I try to approach my work. Do you have any last words? Even on, We could go into so many more details, but I think today's attention span can't bear it. <laughs> Do you have uh, <laughs> any, last, any uh, last remarks or insights or anything to people looking to build or just if someone's thinking about holding on to their job while they're building or people who are looking for a co I mean, anything about anything related to your experience and us growing the most amazing startup ever together. <laughs> I can only think of corny things to say right now. That's um, okay. Corny's fine. I think you have to believe in what you're doing and think that, comes through when you communicate with others and so having that connection with what the the true kind of driving force of the business is, is is really important and just believing what you're doing and be willing to make mistakes and then focus in on things that are going well kind of goes back to one of the the 37 signals topics that we've talked about a lot over the years that when we both read one of those books at the same time, but totally repeat successes, you know, don't stack failures, repeat successes and you're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to make a mistake and it's fine to learn from that. But the things that go well are the things that can go well. So build on those. Totally. I think mine kind of echoes the same thing, funny enough and unexpected. Mine would be, like what you talked about earlier, like experiments, systems, and consistency, and really proving out whether an experiment works or doesn't work. And then what you just said, you know, scaling up on like what does work. I think 
especially people like me get really excited by ideas and we don't apply enough organization and time and patience to just see like experiments through and see what the outcome is and then just make really data-driven choices to move forward. So that was interesting. I was listening to Jason Fried's book today, strangely enough, and one of the things, I just finished it, and one of the things mentioned was they ha- aspire to have an inner calm within their company. And I just, I really heard that at the right time since, like, that's what I'm focused on is, like, having an inner calm personally, like, in everything that I do. And one of the things that th- they talked about was they changed their prices from $29 a month to $99 a month. And they grandfathered in all their old customers into the 29. So there was no shift there. But then all the new customers had to pay 99. And they said that they didn't ask people first. They didn't test it. They didn't anything beforehand. They just rolled out the 99 and waited to see what would happen. And they said, because what's the worst that could happen? that they'd revert back to what they had before. Like there was no like truly bad, like their old customers, they were so, you know, we've talked about financial sustainability. They were so financially sustainable with their, I think it's like a hundred thousand customers already paying $29 a month that they didn't have to worry if like the new $99 rollout wouldn't work or would work they could just like wait and see. And they did see that like some people didn't sign up because the price point was too high for them, but others didn't made up for it. And it was just really interesting. Like this kind of like, I don't know what the right word is like fatality we put to like every single thing that we try. And if it doesn't like work right away, it's at least for me, it feels like the end of the world or like, how could I get this so wrong? But like being, having more ease and calm and just seeing everything is just simply an experiment without that emotional attachment and just observing the results, such a much peaceful way to do business. Yeah, I think that, that connects actually to what you were saying a little bit before about an ad company versus a content company versus a membership company. Like, if you know what you want to be, you can create the solution that that matches that and you know if it works it's not going to guarantee to work but if it works you get the company that you want because you get the kind of customer that values what you want to put into it Mm -hmm. and it's a great match when it works yeah Spencer thanks for knowing me for all these years (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) thanks for having me tolerating my shenanigans (laughs) for having me on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And maybe and maybe we'll do video like one day in the future. There's just so many stories we have, but uh this is cool. It's nice to like reminisce. I'm excited for you to like share this episode with your wife so she can know more about our story too. <laughs> She's so excited that I'm going to be on a podcast. So Is she really? <laughs> Does she know? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. cool. I'm excited for her to listen. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to hang up on this record line and I'm going to call you back in true esprit form and see how you liked being on the podcast. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Right. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>
blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you. And I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.